Welcome to Seeing Eye to Eye, the show about innovation and integration. Why integration and innovation? Because we believe these are key skills for anyone on a path of continual progress, so you can create and successfully live a bold vision for a more meaningful future. We're your hosts. I'm Ash. And I'm Joya. Join us for conversations that are part entrepreneurial strategy, part philosophical discussion, and part personal development tools. If you are or aspire to be a high-performing and exponentially ambitious entrepreneur, thought leader, or creator, this show is for you. All right, welcome back everyone to episode five uh, of season one. This is uh, we're an exploration of the 21st century Renaissance human project. So go back if you haven't uh, heard it yet and check out episode one of this season um, to get kind of an overview of that project and what we're talking about this season. Uh, and basically, you know, we're we're exploring these various aspects of life that we think everybody needs to uh, incorporate to have kind of a more well-rounded, meaningful, fulfilling life uh, in the 21st century. And so today, the aspect that we want to explore is uh, what we're calling uh, sort of provisionally <laughs> the relationship maker, because we haven't figured out a better term for that yet. Uh, so, uh, Joya, why don't you go ahead and start us off by telling us what you mean by a relationship maker? And you're right that the, the term still isn't exactly right, but we are talking all about relationships. So I was just going to share, here's the definition we've come up with provisionally. So this is all about investing in cultivating healthy relationships, building intimacy and sharing values as a partner, family member, and friend. So essentially we're referring to the close relationships that you create with those who are dearest to you, your romantic partners, your children, close family, friends who are like family and even business partners, business besties, business they sometimes besties. call it. <laughs> yes, I like that. I had never heard that before. Is that an actual term or did you just make that up? Whoa, hashtag business besties. Really? Wow, <laughs> yes. I'm out of the loop, I guess. Um, all right. so. Why why is this an aspect of the 21st century Renaissance Human Project? Why are we separating this out for, for uh, analysis here? What yeah. is, uh, maybe this is obvious, maybe this is one of the most obvious ones, like, gee, why is it important to have deep, meaningful relationships to have a happy, fulfilling life? I mean, it almost does go without saying, and, and I think it's actually a good aspect of our culture that as a culture, we recognize this more and more that building strong relationships, that building communication skills, that it's not just about necessarily marrying the person in the social class that is important, but actually building a relationship on trust, on intimacy, on actually getting to know a person, that having these close emotional ties is important and it's a major aspect of building and living a thriving life. And I know one point we wanted to talk about was that there's obviously a range of relationships that you want to develop over the course of your life, that there are many relationships that come up around a particular project or a particular situation that would be short-term relationships. 
but that given our nature as human beings who project and think and act long-term and are on paths of growth, we also want these long-term relationships that we invest in and commit to and cultivate and grow with. And we really wanted to tease out what are the important principles for building and creating good relationships. Okay. So, yeah, so we want to have these deep relationships as against just a bunch of different superficial ones. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a range of uh, relationships in different for different circumstances and for different purposes. But um, I'm actually going to kind of go off script here a little bit or off of our, our notes for what we wanted to talk about and ask you a question that I think maybe that just occurred to me that that people that might come to mind in in this context, which is, do you think that you know kind of the current technologies that are being developed here as we're go, moving into the twenty first century, like social media and and so forth, do you think they're making relationships more superficial? Do you think they're making it more difficult to develop these deeper personal relationships, really close relationships, or do you think they're making it? Um, actually, you know, are they helping us develop more, uh, more meaningful relationships? No, that's a great question. And the answer probably really is both. And I think mm -hmm. that's exactly what, what we want to explore here and why we want to explore this topic, because the technology is here and the technology is de definitely changing how we are building and fostering and nurturing relationships. Yeah. And so we want to figure out how do we integrate this technology in our lives well? How do we use this technology so that we're actually building the kinds of good relationships that add tremendous value to our lives? Okay. So that, that is a perfect question, I think, and a yeah. jumping off point for all the things we want to discuss. Because yeah. you're absolutely right that to a certain extent, social media, on the one hand, allows for these kinds of superficial relationships where you're just hiding behind the screen and can be this anonymous troll. And that's obviously what you don't yeah. want to do, what you <laughs> no. don't want to foster and bring into your life. But then technology is also making possible, I mean, even what we're doing here right, right. now, the ability to Skype and have FaceTime conversations. I mean, I know when you and I first met, which is like 15 years ago now, and mm -hmm. you're way on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, we couldn't just do this and get a chance to actually see each other and talk face to face. So yeah. on the one hand, technology is amazing in, in allowing us to, to be closer. Like I can actually watch your face and read your body language and we can have that depth of relationship level that wouldn't be possible if we were just trying to communicate on the phone. Yeah. So I think it really is all about how do we think proactively and smart and thoughtfully about how we take these technological developments and actually integrate them into our lives in the best possible way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. They've absolutely, a lot of these tools and platforms have, uh, you know, made it possible for people to make connections that they otherwise never would have been able to that, you know, potentially can develop or be developed into deeper relationships. So, uh, I think that's fantastic. I mean, I even, I just, uh, I remember going to a meetup event one time for a, a philosophy meetup and, um, and we were discussing like technology and, you know, pros and cons. And uh, a couple of the people there were arguing that, that, uh, you know, technology was, you know, alienating people and making it impossible to have these close relationships and things. And I was just sitting there thinking like, <laughs> 
technology made this meeting possible. None of us would have even <laughs> been here if it wasn't for, you know, like platforms like Meetup, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, there seemed to be a little bit of uh, dissonance <laughs> going on there. But but yeah, but like in some ways, some, some of these platforms can s- sort of also... Um, almost reward in some ways like these more superficial interactions uh and so that's something that definitely needs to be um looked out for and guarded against i guess that people need to be aware of so they can uh you know use these tools in ways that actually enhance their lives rather than (laughs) uh diminishing them Um, but you you mentioned you've mentioned uh, a few times already that there's this key point that you know, relationships are built and they require uh, effort and thought and work. Um, so what, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like what, cause I mean, you know, the, I think there's, you know, especially younger people when they're in, in the context of romantic relationships, when you're dating somebody, I think there's kind of this common idea that, you know, relationships shouldn't take work, you know, it should, it should come naturally. It should be easy. It should be fun. Right. So you know, like, and I think there's something plausible about that in that, you know, if, if you're in a relationship with somebody and it just feels like this constant grind or slog, there's something, something is not going right there. So, so what do you mean when you say that relationships are built and that they require this, this kind of continuous work? No, that's a great question. And the way I love to think about this is that relationships are work, even in the ideal way that we think about what work ought to be. So there's the understanding, what's the popular phrase, that when you're doing something you love, you never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that we are all after when it comes to our actual careers and the creative, productive work that we're doing. We want to be using our strengths and meeting these challenges that are right at our skill level. So we're really in flow so that yeah. it feels like it's it's easy and, and coming with the flow and coming naturally. But there still obviously is a component of work to it. There's yeah. still effort that needs to be put in. And I think that's important to mention with relationships too. I mean, I think there is still a kind of lingering pernicious idea in the culture that you find the right person. And when you live quote unquote, happily ever after that, if they were your absolute Prince charming, that suddenly it's just going to be sunshine and rainbows and puppy dogs and bunny rabbits every mm-hmm. single day. And that's not the case. Anybody who's yeah. actually gone through a relationship knows even when you find someone who is your perfect partner, part of what actually makes them a perfect partner is the fact that you are going to disagree about things because that is even what enables you to grow and yeah. enables you to do things that you wouldn't be able to do on your own without having the partnership. So there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be misunderstandings. There is effort that has to be put into doing the communication. But I think the key point is to recognize that it's important to have this positive emotional framework to be solutions oriented in how you're approaching the relationship and Mm -hmm. know that it's going to require effort, hopefully fun effort that you wake up excited to do Uh every morning, (laughs) but effort nonetheless. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like any kind of 
productive work, including building uh, a, a meaningful relationship with with another person. Um, you know, if it's going well, it's not going to be that grind or that slog all the time. But you know, it's not going to be that just state of blissful flow all the time either, right? But hopefully, the more you can get it into like having you know maximizing that flow state within a relationship, the better it's going to be, right? So that's that's kind of what we're looking for. Um, but, you know, it takes work to get there. And um, so I think, you know, you've you've talked about that. You think that as a culture, we, we've developed a lot in in understanding and appreciating this. And most of us are aware of this and we, we try to do this, um, but but we could be doing better. So how what what else should we or what should we be doing? Like what? What do you think we need to know to understand that that can actually help us do this better? Yeah, so there's two points here that I really wanted to explore, really mm -hmm. even for the rest of this episode. So this one idea is how can we be doing relationships better? So on the one hand, I think today there are relationship experts out there. There's work that's being done in psychology. There are developing ideas about what goes into a good relationship, but then there are still all of these lingering, false, often conflicting ideas that are in there in the culture as well. And for any given individual human being, it's not clear, well, so right off the bat, it's not obvious how it is that you build a good relationship. It's not something that's programmed into us. It is something that we have to learn. But right. it's not clear that even that information is readily available throughout the culture. Even the fact that there isn't the quick go-to obvious term for what we mean here in this episode, I think is already right. uh, indicates that this, this problem is here, that, that we could do more to understand what actually goes into making a good relationship. So that's one of the things I think we definitely want to keep exploring in this episode. And then one aspect of this to tie it into our whole, the whole premise of our show, which is all about innovation and integration. I think integration is a key idea and we want to look at how we integrate our relationships into our lives as a whole, because we want there to be this holistic sense of the ways in which our relationships fit into our full flourishing lives. Yeah, and that's, that's what the Renaissance Human Project is all about. Exactly. Uh, Okay, but so let's uh, jump into to that first point then about and talk more about what a good relationship is. And you mentioned that, you know, there's kind of a lot of um, ideas that are just kind of floating out there in the culture um, that are often even, you know, conflicting or, or totally contradictory. So, you know, like one idea about what makes a good relationship might be well, like attracts like. So, so, you know, the more similar the other person is to you, the better the relationship will be. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you have this idea that opposites attract and you want to find somebody who's like completely different from you. That's, you know, I guess the idea there is just that they're, they're much more complimentary so that, you know, if you're good at some things, they're good at other things. And, you know, like together you're, it, I guess it almost goes back to, you know, tying it back to my philosophy background, you know, uh, Plato, I believe, had this myth of where genders came from, where mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe the idea it was even like what, a what actually makes philosopher. your soulmate. Yeah, because it's like these two people that were like divided at some point and then they find each other and they actually like fit together in, in some weird way. But um, 
so so that's an idea that goes back to Plato, this idea that kind of opposites attract and um but even the idea that you are not a whole and you need someone to complete you. I mean, that's been in yeah. the culture not, not all that long ago. What, what, the Jerry Maguire movie, where you need somebody uh -huh. to complete you, which is, again, I think, you know, a not so healthy approach to relationships. Because okay, so you ought to be whole yourself, and then you're finding another whole and yes. creating a partnership. Okay. But so, you know, it seems like, you know, but I mean, like these are these are common ideas for a reason. It seems like they're not completely wrong. There's something mm -hmm. right about both of these. So how do you put them together? You know, or or what what can we draw out of each of these different views that is right and put them together in a way that is you know a more complete picture of what like a, a good healthy relationship is about? I think you're right that we're even getting to there are in a sense dual aspects that we want both of them in our lives. So we want both, I guess you could say, stability and adaptability. Um, you might say security and excitement. So that maybe gets into each of these, right? You want like, like attracts like because that's the, the stable, the comfortable, the familiar. But opposites attract because you also want the novelty and the excitement and the adventure. And really in human life, we want to integrate all of these things. And so I think we really even just need a better framework or better frameworks for how we think about relationships and what goes into making a good relationship and how you want to show up as someone in order to create a good relationship. Yeah. So I have this four-part framework that I love to talk about. So actually, bef goes into. Yeah, before we get into that. Before we get into that. Else? Yeah, so just on the subject of kind of like attracts like versus opposites attract, attract. I, I like how you tied that into the the you know, you know the stability and reliability versus you know kind of the excitement and challenge and because um, we're definitely going to get into that with your your framework mm -hmm. here. But um, I, I think there's also uh, something else going on there that you know there's just kind of different levels of abstraction where where these maybe apply more or less. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think you do want to find somebody who is broadly similar to you in terms of, you know, your, your kind of deepest values. Um, but, you know, in some way, you know, at the level of concretes, uh, it can actually be helpful and to have somebody who's more complementary to you in certain ways, or even in the ways that they uh, kind of like approach uh, life in, in some respects. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think that's maybe something that, that we'll get into more here with, with your other idea. But there was also another kind of common idea in the culture that I, I thought maybe we should mention briefly, which is, um, you know, there's, there's an idea out there that, you know, like you don't really want to date people with too much baggage. Um, Except that that's kind of like everybody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's kind of relative, right? So, so uh, I don't know. For me, like somebody who's had kind of very long struggles with health issues and things like that, you know, I found when I was dating, it's like it's actually helpful, you know, when meeting people to find somebody who's had some similar challenges in your life, just so that they can kind of understand where you're coming from and what what you've been through and um, and kind of maybe what issues you still have ongoing. Uh, so that was helpful just kind of for hitting it off to begin with. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, again, I think there is an, a, 
element of truth to that kind of common idea where you, you, you know, don't want to get too invested in a relationship with somebody who's, you know, really still in the midst of dealing with serious, you know, struggles, you know, with, uh, you know, traumatic kinds of things where maybe they're just not psychologically whole or well enough to be able to have a healthy relationship with somebody yet. But, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's people who maybe just really haven't been through any real struggles in their life or real challenges. And so you don't know, you know, when they're, when challenges arise in, in the relationship and, and, and they're kind of tested in that way, how they're going to respond. And so it, I, I almost feel like, you know, you want somebody with like a healthy amount of baggage that, so that you know that, you know, they've, they've been tested, like they have had to deal with challenges in their lives and they have learned these kind of coping skills and things that are actually going to be really important for um, kind of building a, a, a strong long-term relationship, you know, and, you know, maybe people can learn those along the way as they go, but it's just like, you know, especially if you're like already well into adulthood and you're just looking for like a new romantic relationship with somebody, like if you already know that somebody's dealt with some of that stuff, like I, I think that can actually be a good sign and, and instead of what you know it's often taken to be like a bad sign that you don't want somebody with that kind of baggage and drama and whatever so I don't, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add on that point or if yeah one of the ways I think about that is you can't go into a relationship thinking you can fix another person because mm. the other person has to take accountability to fix themselves it's just definitely a principle we even learn as coaches that the person has to be coachable that it, it goes back to their own free will and their own volition and choice. They have to make the decision to change themselves. So you can't go into a relationship thinking you can fix the other person. Right. But the thing is, a relationship could be the catalyst that will inspire the person to change themselves. Sure. So there's both of those things together. True. Yeah. And I guess I, for me, this kind of relates back to, I think, uh, something I mentioned in just the previous episode, maybe um, about this phrase that I took from the serenity prayer and paraphrased for myself about embracing adversity as a pathway to progress. And uh, I feel like you want to find, you know, other people in your life that are sort of operating on that same premise. Um because, you know, we want to all be on this this growth trajectory together, you know, we want to, you know, you don't want to be with somebody who's just very comfortable in the status quo and uh, is not going to respond well to uh, novelty and change, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, which I guess brings us into that uh, framework that, that you had developed for for uh, kind of some of the basic elements that go into making a good relationship. Yeah, this is just a, a four-part framework that I've developed for myself, just as someone who's gone through both good relationships and bad relationships and thinking about what makes relationships go well and who do I want to be in a relationship, I see that there are these four parts. So the four parts are presence, support, inspiration, and challenge. Yeah. And I realize there's even a connection with something that we've discussed in previous episodes, what I've been calling the two-part formula for happiness. So really quickly, this idea was that to live a full happy life, there are these two parts to it. 
that are seemingly even in tension, but you really need to figure out how to integrate them. So on the one hand, in order to have happiness, you want to find happiness in the present moment. You want to be focused on gratitude and what's going right and being present in the present moment. But at the same time, you want to be future focused. You want to think about how to improve. And Ash, you made the really great point that there's this tension because on the one hand, you want to be satisfied with everything that's going well and the values that you're experiencing in the present. But at the same time, you want to be dissatisfied because you want to improve and grow and develop into the future. And so it's yeah. all about integrating these, these components. But I think now this also applies to how we think about relationships. So yeah. here, when we're talking about presence and support, this is on the present tense side of things. It's all about being in the moment and that this is key to what makes a good relationship. So the first one, just this idea of presence, being present with another person. And I think this even ties back even into our, our technology conversation, because on the one hand, technology has allowed us to be present with people. I can be present with you here in Skype in a way that I yeah. could not be if there wasn't this technology. But there's also a danger that because I'm so busy on my phone, I'm not present with the people who are in my life. So when my husband comes home or if I'm spending time in person with friends and family, am I so worried about, you know, who is liking my posts on social media that I'm not actually present with the people who are there. So right. it's being present both physically, but also mentally and emotionally, that aspect of witnessing and mirroring the other person when you are fully present with them. And that's obviously such a, a huge and foundational value to relationships. Yeah, um, yeah, so to just uh, kind of flesh out this idea of presence a little bit more, I I think that's really interesting because um, it's, yeah, like you said, it's that you're, you're mirroring back the, the person to themselves in a way where they can see, uh, you know, by by seeing how you react to your shared values, they're seeing kind of in an objective way what that means for themselves. Um, and I think you can actually see that kind of in the, the reverse way as well, where um, if somebody reacts in a way to something that means a lot to you, but there's something wrong about it, the, the you know, the... Uh, I, I'm trying to remember, I think you had a good example of this. Did you, did you have an example of, of that? Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, what you were going to maybe even talk about an experience you had with, with your family. Uh, well, the one that, that I remember was, um, uh, when I was visiting Boston many years ago and my parents who were living in upstate New York at the time, uh, drove up to, to visit me while I was there and uh, they were going around seeing some of the Revolutionary War sites and um, and then I had lunch with them and, and they were telling me about that, you know, what they'd been to Bunker Hill and and, um, and my my father was, you know, really excited about it and really excited to, to share it with me and tell me about it, which, you know, you would think would be like, and, you know, because that's something that I'm very interested in too, you know, I, I'm deeply interested in the American Revolution and, and the history behind that and, uh, and the ideas and, um, so you think that might have been like a bonding moment for us, like, you know, 
uh, an example on, on the positive side of, you know, having that, you know, sharing that together and being present um, around that, you know, connection between us. But uh, because I, I knew that it, it meant something different to him because of, you know, he's coming from a, a different kind of ideological background where, you know, he thinks that uh, the, he, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but, you know, like his interpretation of the meaning of, of this revolution is, is in some ways very opposed to my own. Like it, it almost felt like, no, you, you can't like the, you can't value this as, as much as I do. This can't mean as much to you as I do. And so, so it was almost kind of, you know, like the the same phenomenon, but in reverse, you know. Yeah, because um, you weren't actually sharing the value. It's just sort of at a superficial level, you happened to meet around the same thing, but it was built on a completely different value framework. So you weren't actually right. sharing the value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it just doesn't mean to him what it means to you. Yeah, because it's like on one level, there's there seems to be a connection you're connecting, but then like on a deeper level, there's this disconnect. And I, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, is actually not uncommon in uh, <laughs> relationships. And so that, that's kind of where I feel like you want to make sure that you do have kind of a basic affinity with uh, people, especially that you're trying to have like these deeper kind of relationships with at, at those deeper levels in terms of your fundamental values. Um, but I think it even just points to the importance of sharing values as just a key component to our human experience, the way we are social beings. So this even gets into an experience I know I wanted to share, something that happened to me. So when I was in my early 20s, in 2001, I had the opportunity to go to Italy. And it was part of a whole student group study abroad experience, but the other people in my group were off I guess the Pope was out that day in the Pope mobile and they wanted to go yeah. see the Pope and I wanted to go see the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. And it was just such a life expanding, incredible opportunity. But what I remember about it was on the one hand being in such awe to be present. Part of the value was to be present in that space where Michelangelo created this fabulous work. But at the same time, feeling so lonely and part didn't. of this because I didn't have, have anyone to share, to share it, with. it with and yeah. it maybe even gets to this point that there were plenty of other tourists there but I wasn't actually sharing the value with someone who could be there with me appreciate what it means and to have someone to do that with it's it almost goes without saying I think if you're a human being that you can have everything in the world but if you don't have someone to share it with, you're Doesn't missing out much. Yeah. on what the true value can be. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, so kind that, of going back. That, that would be presence. Oh, no, I would say that would be presence. Yeah. And yeah. then so going we back can maybe to your... go into support. Yeah. And yeah. One of the things I've been realizing well, about before this. We even, oh. Sorry, before we even jump into support, like I, I wanted to kind of dive a little bit more into the framework. So you already um, made the connection between, um, you know, having kind of that that, you know, present awareness versus that that future orientation. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think there was sort of like an other uh, pattern that we noticed here in in between these. So uh, yeah, that was what I was just gonna say. Okay. So even just uh, kind of connecting presence with support. So both the present and support are on the present 
side present tense versus the future focus. But one of the ways to think about this pair is that it's, it's perhaps being and doing. So presence is how you show up uh, to be present with someone else. And support is what you do. And that can be emotional support. It can be financial support. It can be literal activity, something that you do to help someone else out. But to be there and to be supportive and to have that activity of giving support to someone right. is key to how we build good relationships. Yeah. And I think, you know, support is, it's, it is important because, you know, if you, you can be present and mm-hmm. uh, with somebody, but not necessarily supportive, like it's like, okay, you know, I can see you're having a hard time and you need help with something, but then not actually follow through and mm-hmm. provide them the, the help that they, that they need in that situation. Um, so it's like, you know, if you're not there for your partner when they, you know, break their arm and need a ride to the emergency room or something like they're going to understandably not feel like you're really invested in that Mm -hmm. relationship no matter how sort of present you are you know even if you're not like it's not that you're just ignoring them and are distracted Mm -hmm. from them but like if you're not actually following through and taking action to to demonstrate um that you value them as a person and you value your relationship with them uh then there's definitely something big missing there. So yeah, I, I think that is definitely a, another aspect. I mean, and I think it's worth pointing out too that support is important for good human relationships because as human beings, ideally we ought to be on these paths of growth. And what that means mm-hmm. is we ought to be pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones. We ought to be failing so that we can learn. But what that means is that you know, how we actually perhaps get through the failures is through the support. And then that just also, you know, encompasses all the things that just happen in life, dealing with disease, dealing with when people die, like how we actually even make it through all of the hardships of life that having support is so key. So it's something that we all need as human beings and how relationships work is when we can be that person who can offer the support to others yeah. when they are in that position. Right. Yeah. But even like going beyond just kind of uh, supporting people in those situations, you know, like sickness or uh, other kinds of struggles um, to, you know, you mentioned, you know, hopefully we're also supporting them in kind of growing and mm-hmm. moving forward in their lives. So that kind of brings us to, to the future oriented side of your framework. So, uh, so I guess inspiration would be on on the sort of being side of that. Do you want to talk a little more about that? Right. So inspiration is perhaps how you think of how you show up so that you can be an inspiration to others around you, how you are the person who sets the example and shows what is possible and sets the standard for which other people can rise and live up to. So. Yeah thinking about being that person in your relationships, being the person who can inspire. And then it's something that you ought to look for, I think, in relationships that you seek to build with others. You want to seek out people who will inspire you to your to reach and grow and become a better version of yourself. Yeah. As, and again, like, you know, I, I think you've done a really good job kind of identifying some of these key aspects of, of good relationships because, yeah, I think if that element's missing, 
that is not going to make for kind of a happy long-term relationship if you're with somebody who just doesn't want to do anything or if you're the kind of person that you know just wants to you know sit on the couch and watch netflix all the time or whatever not that there's anything wrong with doing that occasionally but um you know if you're not the kind of person that's constantly trying to uh you know learn and and grow and and do new things and uh you know create new you know value in the world um that kind of person is going to be pretty boring to be with for very long you know that's going to get old fast at least it would for me you know if you're the kind of person who wants to do that and you're with somebody who's not that kind of person that that's going to be a kind of pretty fundamental incompatibility i, I would think exactly um, and then yeah, I'm sorry. I was saying, and then I think that just gets us to challenge, which the, is the doing, the doing aspect side. of it. Yep. So the way that you actually intervene and interact to challenge someone else. And then you want those people in your life, the people who will throw down the challenge that will you know, get you going and moving and working on being that better person. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I found this a really helpful framework. I, uh, and, you know, kind of my first question when, when you introduced it to me, I was like, that, you know, that does seem to match up pretty well with the way that I was thinking about these things. Um, but I had, I had just broken it down into kind of two basic components, which is, you know, the two main things that I think um, most people, you know, need or are looking for out of relationships are... Uh, and, and, you know, you already kind of mentioned this, you alluded to this earlier, you know, the, the, that these elements of stability versus element of kind of like adaptability. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think these are kind of like two basic sides of the spectrum of, you know, how any complex adaptive system works, including, you know, like the, the interpersonal dynamics of a relationship, <laughs> you know, between mm -hmm. two people. And, um, yeah, but and I so kind of like, one thing that I know yeah. you said that that I think is really important is that ultimately these things they do exist on a spiral. So the yeah. way I see it is is there is a definite hierarchy. So even with these four different elements, these are four things that you ultimately want in your relationships, but you may not have them all at one time or all in one relationship, but I think there is a kind of hierarchy to it. And there is ideally this spiral to it. So yeah. to my thinking, the, the presence comes first, that that's the, the foundational requirement, that without the presence, you, really, you don't really have a relationship if the people are not present to one another. So that's the key one that you need. And these others can grow and come over time. And so in that sense, I almost realized it's kind of a little bit almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you start mm -hmm. even with security first and it builds up to self-actualization. But Maslow's is a pyramid. And I think the way you and I like to think about it, it really is more of the spiral because it's never yeah. just that you get all of these basic needs met once and for all. And then you somehow get up to self-actualization and it's just that from here on out. Right. It's that this is a, a constant continual process where yeah. you're continually spiraling through yeah and each higher level that you reach actually then helps you kind of go back and and do the the previous levels that it, it is based on to to be able to do those uh better um and you know what that reminds me of is i remember when when i was starting to date again after kind of my my major you know my long-term relationship 
first long-term relationship as an adult ended, you know, as I was uh, kind of starting to, to come out of my, you know, chronic health issues. Um, and I was, you know, using one of the online dating sites and one of the, the match questions that they had was like, you know, would you prefer a relationship that is, you know, more reliable or more full of excitement? And, uh, and I hate those kind of binary questions because it's like, it's both uh, and <laughs> I, I, you know, you need, you really do need both. And, you know, I think what the question is trying to get at is like, well, what's more important to you of these two things, if you had to pick one. Um, but, you, you know, to, to me, it's like you can't really separate them because exactly there is this sort of spiral relationship between them. And if you don't have either one of those elements, like the other one is not going to be sustainable either, you know, mm -hmm. like without, you know, yeah, you absolutely have to have that reliability or it doesn't matter how exciting a relationship is, it's, it's going to burn out fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if you don't have, you know, any excitement <laughs> or anything new in your relationship, it is just going to quickly fall into a rut and uh, just become completely stagnant. And neither of those are going to be good relationships for anybody involved. Right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, but so I had kind of through my experiences, you know, starting to date again as an adult, I, I had kind of come to the the conclusion that it's like, well, I, I'm, I want the stability side and I want the adaptability side. And so when I, when I saw your framework, I'm like, oh, well, the support and presence, those are kind of on the stability side and the inspiration and challenge, that's kind of like the adaptability side. And so I was kind of like, my first question was, well, so, so why do you separate out into these four things? But then, you know, I think we already addressed that with, um, you know, that it's kind of the being versus doing side of each of those. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I did find that very helpful. Um, but uh, you know, I, I also, I just, I think this is kind of something that is even historically recognized almost where, you know, these, these are kind of two fundamental aspects or sides of a relationship that, you know, you know, everybody is looking for. And, you know, if you can find both of those sides to the extent that you need, uh, in a single relationship, you know, that's fantastic, but, that's not always going to be the case for everybody. And, and so you even see like in the context of, you know, ro romantic relationships, like his historically, you know, you can look back, you know, like, I don't know, 18th century France or something, you know, there's the idea of, you know, you've got your wife and you've got your mistress, right? <laughs> it's like the rock and the muse, you know, or, or you can take it back all the way to ancient Greece. You know, you have, again, like the, the men would have like a wife who kind of runs their household and they have children with and whatever. And then they've got, you know, like kind of a, you know, a protege young man who <laughs> is like, you know, who they have intellectual conversations with and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, you know, this is like an idea that's a model that's kind of talked about in Plato's symposium. Um, but I think this is and, even why we want this, this key idea that, that there is a skill and why having this framework mm -hmm. is useful because even the way it breaks it up into being and doing, because it gives you a framework for, what it is you have to do and how you have to show up. Because I think you're right to even tie this back to things that we were saying, that at a certain level, you want a kind of compatibility between you and your partner. You want there to be actual deep values that you share. It can't just be the superficial, oh, we both kind of like the revolutionary war heroes if they're for completely different ideas of what heroism is or the value of the revolutionary for, war is yeah. and what it stands for. So there is a kind of compatibility that you want there, but 
even in terms of compatibility, one, we're always growing human beings. So people themselves are, as individuals, are growing and developing. So even, you know, how you might match with that compatibility could change. But there's also this element of even with a certain compatibility, what makes for the good relationship is how you actually show up the being and what it is you actually do. So it can't even just be this, this compatibility, but how it is that you actually choose to show up and live and build this relationship on a day by day basis. I can say that even is sort of, I think the story with, my husband and myself. So when I met my husband, we met through another one of these dating apps. Um, But our story is we actually moved in together after our second date, because I think both of us recognized (laughs) after two dates that there was enough compatibility to, to have something to work with there. And that really beyond that, it's really just all about doing the work and building, building the relationship and how we show up for each other and the things that we do to be present, supportive, inspiring, challenging on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I kind of want to like ask you more questions about that, but maybe we should just (laughs) kind of move on to. Maybe that could be a future. If people are interested, we could do a bonus, bonus behind the scenes episode. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, but so, you know, I I just, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that there's kind of like these different ways of looking at it that are kind of getting at the same thing, whether it's from this, Mm -hmm. you know, more historical perspective. Um, But, you know, and that even like raises interesting issues, cultural issues, like, well, why did these, you know, people in these societies in ancient Greece and France need to have like these separate relationships to fulfill these different needs? And it's maybe it's because, you know, like, you know, the gender roles in those societies can find, you know, people to certain roles and things like that, um, that hopefully are less issues now. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's still not necessarily the case that you're going to be able to find, um, you know, everything you need in a single relationship. But like you said, you know, this is something that can shift over time and, and, and change. And hopefully like within a relationship, you know, each partner, uh, you know, being aware of this can try to increase their ability to be present and supportive on the one side and also Mm -hmm. their ability to be, you know, an inspiration to their partner and to challenge them on, on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. So that each person can become more able to fill those needs for, for the, for their partner. Um, But now I know you wanted to integrate another biological framework into mm -hmm. this too. So maybe we can get into that as well. Yeah. Well, this, this ties down to, because, you know, I think how, um, you know, any relationship uh, kind of depends, uh, you know, the relationship dynamics are going to depend in large part on kind of the individual psychologies of the people involved, uh, which in turn kind of depend on, on you know, their ingrained habits as well as kind of their underlying, uh, you know, physiological, you know, and neurological uh ways of interacting with with the world and with other people uh and so like the one uh framework that i think kind of ties into a lot of what we've already been saying but also kind of helps give like a little, little bit deeper understanding that i found really uh clarifying uh comes from um i think originally it comes from a psychologist named I believe it was paul gilbert who wrote a book called the compassionate mind uh but i encountered it through uh there were some a series of books that were uh, 
kind of spun off of his framework and applied to, to more specific areas in psychology. Um, so I read a book that was called, it was like a workbook called The Compassionate Mind Guide to Recovering from Trauma and PTSD by uh, Deborah Lee and Sophie James. And um, so they laid out this, this framework in there um, where they talked about kind of psychologically, we all have uh, three systems that, that interact that they what they call affect regulation systems. Um, and so, you know, kind of like the most obvious one that, that people would be, you know, familiar with is what they call the threat, the threat protection system. So that's kind of, you know, fight, fight, flight, or freeze, you know, it's like the, mm -hmm. the sympathetic nervous system kind of underlies that. So it's, I was uh, heard of that is there's the four F's, the four F's uh, yeah. fight, <laughs> flight, fright, and sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like the standard intro <laughs> medical school joke. But uh, so yeah, it's it's um it's a it's an arousal system. You know, it's an excitatory system in your nervous system that uh, responds to you know perceived negatives in your environment to these threats. Um, on the other side, they have what they call the the achieving and activating system or the achievement activation system, uh, something like that, which is. Uh, an excitatory system that's in response to perceived, you know, values in your environment. So it's like, uh, you know, oh, you know, there's a potential prey I want to go hunt down and, and kill so I can eat it or whatever. Um, and then the third one is kind of the, the one that inhibits both of those, and it's what they call the affiliative and soothing system. Um, and so you know, that's supposed to like when either of those other excitatory systems kind of get too worked up, you, you want to be able to like regulate that and pull it back, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think the reason they, they have the term affiliative along with soothing there is because they're saying, you know, like an important part of how we do this is in our interactions with other people. Um, and so, you know, like in, in parent-child relationships, you know, traditionally the mother would play more of, of that soothing role right uh whereas the father would more of the um the stimulating role but you know that could be in a positive or negative way you know like wait mm -hmm. till your father gets home um <laughs> uh, but you know like in general whether it's in parent-child relationships or adult relationships uh you know i think you need somebody who can activate both your your soothing system and stimulate your achievement system um in you know the appropriate circumstances right mm -hmm. and and that kind of i think is what underlying fulfilling these kind of basic psychological needs for for stability and uh, adaptability that, that we've been talking about um did you have any thoughts on that <laughs> no I, I think it's it's just great it's just another integration to another level of our biology and how this then shows up culturally in our and socially in our relationships yeah and there's obviously a lot more you could say on that you know mm -hmm. they talk about like kind of the different neurotransmitters that are involved in these different systems and kind of like how all of these systems interact with each other and uh and you know they were like i said they were doing it in in the context of you know helping people um deal with with trauma and ptsd um but you know so i kind of took that same basic framework and said oh like you can see how this would apply to relationships as well. And, mm -hmm. um, and it fits in, you know, kind of like with these, these higher order, uh, 
frameworks that we we've been discussing about it. So, um, so I think yeah, I feel like that's pretty good discussion of that first point that we wanted to talk about about what is a good relationship. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of on an abstract level, but you know, like you want somebody who's supportive as well as it's challenging to you in in the right way at the right time, you know, as Aristotle would say, right? Mm -hmm. um, but kind of, I guess that leads us into our, our next point, which is how do we integrate our relationships more fully with the rest of our, into the rest of our lives as a whole? Right. I mean, and maybe one way to make this transition is again, just to emphasize that, you know, you might not have all of these things all at once. So it is about viewing this over time and making an investment in these relationships and working on them as they develop over time. But maybe we can even shift to, to thinking about how this fits in with the possibilities for relationships now in the 21st century, even tying this back to our conversation about technology and even a conversation that we had in an earlier episode about when we were looking at the what I think has always been the flawed model of work-life balance, but we yeah. discussed it as a model that doesn't even make sense anymore in the 21st century. And what does make more sense now that people do have this opportunity to live more self-directed lives, to work from wherever, to be able to integrate their work and their relationships in a more seamless way. So did right. you have some ideas you wanted to start sharing even about that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess people can definitely go back and, and uh, you know, revisit that earlier episode if, or if they haven't heard it, go back and check that out about uh, work-life balance versus work-life integration or, you know, if we even need some, some other way of thinking about that. Um, and I might have actually used this example in, in that uh, earlier conversation, I don't recall now, but um, I know we had talked at one point, I can't remember if it was in, in that recording or not, but about this uh, I, one example that I thought was was really uh, fascinating in terms of just like kind of a concrete example of that for me was there was a movie that came out in this past year about Ruth Bader Ginsburg called On the Basis of Sex uh, that talks about, that. yeah, it's, I wonder if it's probably on, maybe on Netflix now or something, but Hopefully. it's uh, a really well done movie, you know, and it kind of talks about, um, how she is trying to challenge these these laws that you know discriminate on the basis of sex as being unconstitutional um and you know kind of like the the case that she um uses to do that but what i found really interesting about the movie in this context was um that it, it really was one of the best portraits i've ever seen of uh somebody integrating their personal and and their work lives in, in this way where she and her husband, who was also a lawyer, uh, you know, were, were um, really working on this together. It was like a real partnership and he was really supporting her in, in this um, you know, almost crusade of hers, you know, and uh, but then also how it played into their um, children's lives and their relationships with their children. And because, you know, like I remember there's one part in the movie where um, because before uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had started pursuing this legal case, um, she had 
after she had gotten her law degree, she had ended up just kind of going back and teaching. And, um, and her daughter, who is like becoming, a, you know, going into her teenage years during this period, as depicted in the movie, um, had started getting involved with some of like the, the cultural movement that was happening at the time in the, the 60s. And, and I can't remember exactly when this is set, the exact year or whatever, but, um, uh, and her daughter at one point, you know, says to her, like, you know, you, you talk about these ideas about equality and, and justice and stuff, but like, are you ever going to do anything about it? Or are you just, <laughs> you know, like, are you just going to tell people that this is how it should be, but never like really actually try to change the system, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so her daughter in a way like was an inspiration to her, but then by her actually, you know, starting to, to actually pursue that actively, you know, she actually was becoming more of a role model for her daughter mm-hmm. as well. So um, it, it's just like a really fantastic uh, example of a really well-integrated work life <laughs> uh, situation for, for that entire family, uh, the way that it was uh, depicted in the movie, at least. So, um, but I know you had some other ideas about how to uh, integrate personal and work lives and, uh, you know, you know, ways that people can do that. And, you know, whether it's not necessarily even those kind of really close personal, like immediate family kind of relationships, but even just with, uh, you know, um, you know, friends and, 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 you know, what what did you call it? Work besties and things like that. Business besties. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, as someone who's made the shift to be an entrepreneur and someone who can hashtag work from wherever to go back to the popular hashtag phrases, um, to live this lifestyle that is more self-directed where I can work from home or really work from wherever. And it's gonna be one of the things we're gonna start exploring even in this week's weekly challenge. But the possibility to have accountability partners, I think is more popular than ever as a new variation on just having a coworker. So this even gets back to the idea that in the 20th century, it might have made a little bit more sense to have these completely separate buckets for work and personal life because you perhaps woke up in the morning in your home, you drove off to your work, you had your work life in that location with those people and then that ended and you came back home and you had your home life in that location and with those people. But while that model is disappearing, there are just all these great opportunities to merge all these aspects of life. And one of the best that I found is this idea of accountability partners, where it's people who can serve to hold you accountable to both your business goals and your life goals as one seamless thing. But we're going to explore that in the weekly challenge. But maybe right now we can finish this off by we wanted to say a few things even about predictions for the 21st century, because I think you and I have seen even just in our lives since the 1980s, how relationships and cultural attitudes about relationships have changed across the 20th century into the 21st century. So maybe some trends and ways that these might change as the 21st century continues. Yeah. So even before we get into that, though, just to you know add on to what you were saying there about accountability partners and things, I think it's interesting because that's actually how we sort of reconnected um, mm-hmm. at first um, recently before we started, you know, had the idea to do this, this podcast. And so that kind of led us into actually 
doing this more kind of specific process, uh, project together. So, you know, and did, now we are business besties as yeah. well as friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, absolutely. All right. But so then to, yeah, go back into the, uh, what, how did you put it? Look at the kind of the, the trends of what, how relationships might develop going forward in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think you're right there that there are these trends that we've already started seeing, you know, we can go back, you know, even a couple of generations, you know, like with, with, uh, you know, our parents or grandparents where prior to that, you know, like even divorce was not really an option for most people and it, was it wasn't even legal in a lot of places, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Including in the U S you know, until relatively recently historically, but, um, um, you know, so so kind of back then the model was like, okay, from at a fairly early, young age, like you attach yourself to one person and then that's it. Like that's your primary partnership in life until death do you part, you know? And you were probably a virgin at marriage. And so uh, <laughs> you probably had no sense to even learn what you might have wanted out of life or a partner. And you were just right. stuck with that forever. <laughs> yeah. And so then, I, you know, I think most people would say this is probably a positive development that, you know, now it's it became over time a little bit easier to sever that kind of arrangement uh, when when uh, necessary or when desirable. And so, you know, it became a little bit more common as, as time has progressed for people to have, I think, uh, what what is often called, you know, serial monogamy, where it's like you have one you know primary you know one romantic relationship at a time but there may not just be one over the course of your entire life you know um but so that's kind of become the more of the norm for maybe people in our generation but now you know you look at you know the millennials later generations and you know it's becoming even more common to have you know like polyamorous relationships so it's not even just like one partnership serially uh, but like even multiple romantic relationships at a time so i think you know, looking at the trend, the, the way that I would put it is, I I think what we're seeing going forward is that there's just going to be more variety in terms of uh, the kinds of relationships that people have and the arrangements that you know they ha- they have socially with you know their their uh, most intimate relationships. Um, you know, and you know, I guess even you know, I think most of the principles that we've talked about so far have been pretty neutral in terms of how they apply to, um, you know, genders and different genders and sexual orientations and things like that. But, you know, that's another example of just like how, you know, relationships are changing, you know, it's like gay marriage was not accepted a few decades ago, well, or even like a decade or two ago, ago. (laughs) right? Um, And now that's, you know, gay marriage is legal in the United States and, you know, most advanced countries around the world, which you know, a couple of decades ago was pretty much not the case anywhere. Um, so, so yeah, again, there's just a lot more variety in what, what relationships can look like. And uh, did, did you have, I think you maybe had more ideas about, or, or a, a prediction about what you think things might look like by the year 2100. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you and seeing this trend toward greater variety, although 
you had made a point to me earlier that I think is right, that I think we're even going to see it ultimately even maybe fit into a bell curve of a new normal. But I think the bell curve is going to include much more variety. And so even on a personal level, um, so I can say, so right now I am married in a wonderful monogamous relationship, but previous to that, I was involved in a more polyamorous situation. And one of the interesting things I noticed there was that One of the things that I think was even problematic about the way a lot of people now even approach polyamory is that they don't yet have this sense of the importance of commitment and investing in relationships that often what drives people now to polyamory is is maybe a a sense of wanting to get away from commitment where my comment was if you're going to be polyamorous you have to have double the commitment so even just this is why even understanding these ideas about what makes for a good relationship and how it is all about growing over time and growing with your partner and investing in a relationship that will grow over time that why these are just important principles to learn but i think you're right and even going back to gay marriage i think it's opened up the idea of even what marriage can be. So I think people know I live right near New York City and I was walking through the city and right now it's it's Pride Week or Pride Month, but everywhere oh, yeah. you go around New York City right around now, I mean, you, you see the rainbows everywhere and, yep. and this idea that love is love, that's one of their catchphrases. But I think even that captures something that is a development and is important. And where I even see some of the trends going, especially even with uh, technology and genetics, where they're already learning how to splice genes that pretty soon will be able to create babies that have genetic, uh, can have more than two genetic parents. And I absolutely sure. think that even financially, the idea of a household where you would have, you know, three parents and two kids, and the parents would figure out maybe how they you know, figure out their sexual relationships either with each other or with that's other people or how that might change over time. I think we'll we'll develop contracts that are even closer to business contracts where you can form a, a business partnership in a variety of, of different fashions. I think people will go into forming household contracts in a variety of different forms. And but it's all about knowing the, the importance of communication and being focused on open communication and growth together as we figure out these contracts and grow together and negotiate. And I think it's going to be important as people are living longer lives. So one of the things that I think is maybe still um, uh, a hard and fast timeline, although this might change too, is that it takes about 20 years, let's say, to raise a child. So yeah. if you're going to raise a child with someone, maybe that is a 20-year contract that you're going to get into with one or maybe a couple other people, depending on what they come up with, with genetic mm-hmm. developments. Um, but I was going to say there that that, that might only be 20 years of a, a life that is 150 or more years long. So that might just be one, you know, you know, time period of your life with relationships you would have. And then throughout the yeah. rest of your life, you would have other arrangements and other relationships. So I yeah. think we're going to see even a lot more variation within an individual lifetime yeah. and then with just what is culturally accepted um, yeah. as, as you know, formations of partnerships and relationships that people can have and what is quote unquote considered normal. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. Different arrangements, you know, might make more sense at different phases of an individual's life. And, and um, yeah, and that the, the kind of cultural norms are, are shifting, like we've said that, you know, people don't have to be beholden to fitting into like traditional norms anymore. And uh, 
you know, as long as, you know, like these, you know, that, that makes it possible to innovate in, in the area of how you want to form, uh, you know, structure your relationships and, and arrange these things in your life, um, which I think is by and large a good thing. You know, it's not that the, every new arrangement is going to be like better than, you know, the old arrangements, but, you know, it makes it possible for more people to find out more new, better ways of doing things in different situations. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and I, I agree that, you know, like there, there are probably going to be some growing pains as, as this uh, unfolds, because, you know, when I, when I was starting to date again, I, um, I dated a, a couple of different people who were more kind of like polyamorous, you know, involved in the polyamory community as well. And I noticed, you know, this kind of same thing as you that, you know, this definitely isn't true of all of them. You know, some people are definitely much more um, self-aware about it and, um, and doing it in, in probably a, a relatively healthier way. But mm-hmm. it definitely, I, I got the sense as well that there are a lot of people um, who are exploring that um, more as a way of avoiding, uh, you know, having to, to have like a, a deep commitment to, to their current partner. And, you know, but I think maybe a, a lot of what might be motivating that, that resistance to committing to the current partner is that they're not getting all of their needs met in that current relationship. And, you know, to tie it back to what we were talking about before about, you know, maybe they're getting, you know, the, the presence and the support that they need from their current partner, but they're not getting that inspiration and challenge that they need or vice versa. Maybe they're getting inspiration and challenge, but they're not really feeling that kind of, um, you know, soothing and, and, and supportiveness that they, that they want as well. And, um, and so, you know, this kind of goes back to like, well, maybe, one model of doing this is that you, you know, if you don't find a single partner that really hits all of those boxes for you, you know, maybe you will be getting different needs met by different partners. And, and, you know, this, like you, you mentioned, I, I kind of think this is going to kind of fall into a sort of bell curve. And I think what will, this is sort of my prediction, who knows? Um, it's kind of hard to predict these things, but mm-hmm. I would guess that just because there are like these two basic needs kind of like at opposite ends of the spectrum that people are looking for that what will end up being sort of an optimal situation for a lot of people a lot of the time although not for everybody all the time um will be something more like a sort of duogamous relationship not in the sense where that's usually used in terms of like uh you know uh, bisexual relationships where you have you know like one male and one female partner but just that you have one partner that meets one of these basic needs for you more and one partner that doesn't or that or that meets the other one and um, you know, because and I think you already see that starting to develop in the polyamory community where they even have some terms that kind of seem to suggest something along these lines where, you know, you'll have a primary nesting partner, you know, they'll call it and then maybe, um, you know, other partners on the side. But I think a lot of times because it's so much work to to maintain to develop and maintain multiple simultaneous relationships. Um, and, and the more different people you add to like a group relationship, like the, the more exponentially complicated it gets, <laughs> um, I would think that it would tend to be like, you'd have one partner that would be, you know, your more supportive partner, um, that meets that need. And one partner that would be more like your inspiring partner that supports that need. And, you know, maybe the supportive partner would be, you know, kind of a longer term partner. And then you'd have like more kind of serial relationships maybe not quite as long relationships for the inspiring partner, but you well, know, I that's... give some pushback to that actually. Okay. I but, mean, that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's very general. And, but, and, um... You know, and I definitely, can I qualify it a little bit first? Cause maybe this is where you're going, but 
you know, and I, like I said, that's not going to be ideal for everyone all the time. So like some people might have more people in a relationship and some people might still be monogamous. Um, but you know, I, I think there is going to be that bell curve and I, I, I would think that that is where that bell curve, you know, kind of the, the center of that bell curve might fall around, uh, just because of, you know, kind of the natural limits on either side and the basic needs that are, uh, that people are trying to meet in these relationships. But, but yeah, like if you have pushback on that, I, I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a little pushback on that. And I know we're running out of time, so I'll try to make it really quick. <laughs> okay. But one of the points that I, I've always even wanted to make about polyamory is that, so when people talk about polyamory, they're usually talking about more what I would call poly sex relationships. Whereas I always want to emphasize that it's about polyamory. It's about love. It's about primarily even first the emotional experience of loving someone. And this is something that I think we already really appreciate as a culture, that it is possible to love more than one person. I mean, most people in the world now have two parents and you love each of your parents differently, but you love them both. Yeah. Many people and have more than one, one children. One doesn't detract from the other Exactly, one. right? You have more than one children, but you love them and the love for one doesn't take away from the other. And I think as a culture, to the extent that we are still monogamous, we don't apply that learning that we have about how love works to our romantic relationships. And I don't think that as we're pursuing more and more romantic relationships, it's all just about needs and getting this need met here and this need met there. It's about wants and desires as well. It's about having a flourishing life where we're exploring all sorts of possibilities. And sure. as we're living longer lives, I think there are just going to be many ways to do that. I guess maybe I'll just end this by saying that we probably should even have a whole other episode because this gets into just more about innovation and integration because it will be i think key skills and integration that people will need to learn to figure out one how to integrate a whole bunch of different relationships and then how to integrate those relationships over time which is going to right. be a more pressing issue as people are living longer and longer and healthier lives but maybe if it's right. okay we'll can just take that right into the recommended resources because this sure. perfectly ties yeah. into the recommended resource that i wanted to bring up today so my mm -hmm. recommended resource for this episode is the movie her which came out uh, i think about a little over five years ago now this is a movie with joaquin phoenix and where scarlett johansson plays the uh ai alexa-like bot but who has the capacity to grow which is significant to the movie. And just a couple things about the movie. One thing I love to point out is I always love movies that are very well crafted and that is definitely what this movie is. So even just on the example of the color palette of the movie, I remember hearing from Spike Jones that when he was making this sci-fi movie, he was aware that lots of other movies in the genre rely a lot on the color blue. So they intentionally removed a lot of blue colors from the palette and there's a lot of play with orange colors. So even just that level of detail to the craft of the movie and how it's presented, the visual storytelling of it. But then to get to the storytelling itself, the movie is called Her, but one of the questions is even who does her refer to because it's this story of Joaquin Phoenix as he's getting a divorce from his first wife and then falling in love with the Scarlett Johansson AI character and mm -hmm. not to give away the movie, but what happens is that she has this capacity for growth and because she is this uh, computer 
phenomenon. She's growing at this exponential rate and eventually essentially outgrows him and outgrows the relationship. And then because there's still sort of a serial monogamy, you see how the movie ends with him getting into a new relationship with Amy Adams, with like human. the girl next door. Yeah, with <laughs> another human. But one of the things even that that movie shows is even how with the idea of polyamory as being about loving multiple people all at the same time, he is in love with all three women at the same time. And so it's already, I think, starting to get into what I hope is this conversation about how relationships can have these multiple different forms as technology develops and as we're living longer lives and as we're shedding some of the old preconceptions about right. love and relationships. Yeah, I still haven't caught up with that movie. I remember, um, you know, hearing about it at the time and thinking it sounded really interesting. But uh, I mean, your description of it there it makes me want to push it up to the top of my queue. So I have to check I hope and see it's if on I can. Netflix. I don't know, yeah. or Hulu or Amazon, one of those. Yeah, Let's definitely going to add that to my to my list here. Um, yeah, and so it's what's just yours I mean, for the week. Well, I mean, I, just to you know comment on yours there. I, I think it you know that does really kind of highlight how you know it's just going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in <laughs> into the uh 21st century and you know how the how these kinds of issues develop but uh and it, you know and it's it's uh, it's hard to predict but it'll it'll be interesting to see um so yeah so just to go into mind that's a little bit more you know kind of based in you know current the current situation <laughs> instead of how things might go you know 50 years from now or whatever um so I, I was originally thinking of just, you know, doing the obvious one. Maybe this is still a little ob obvious, but, you know, kind of relationship book. But I, I've been thinking of recommending maybe one of John Gottman's books, like, um, you know, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work or something. Um, and a lot of people who listen to this show, you know, probably, you know, are readers and, you know, have probably heard his his uh, studies and, and books referenced in, in a lot of other books, even if they haven't read any of his books themselves. Um and I do think his stuff is is worth reading, but but I uh, while I was kind of looking through my notes before this episode, I remembered another book that I read um, about a year ago, I guess, uh, called "Hold Me Tight" by Dr. Sue Johnson. Mm -hmm. And so she is the psychologist who kind of took the idea of the the older idea. I think this goes back probably several decades now. Um, the idea of kind of attachment relationships that was originally developed in, uh, you know, kind of developmental psychology for how children um, develop, you know, healthy psychology based in, you know, rooted in, in their attachment bonds with, with their parents, you know, and their mother, especially, and, and things like that. And uh, Dr. Sue Johnson is the, the psychologist who kind of took that idea and applied it to adult relationships uh, mm -hmm. uh, initially, I believe. And, um, and, you know, that, that kind of, I think, ties in a lot with, and, you know, a lot of what John Gottman says as well, I think ties in a lot with what you said about, you know, the importance of, of being present and, and supportive as, as being, you know, really foundational to a healthy relationship. Um, and, you know, I just, like, I, I one uh, quote of hers that I, I wrote down when I read the book that kind of captures this, I think she, she wrote, curiosity comes out of a sense of safety, rigidity out of being vigilant to threats, the more we can reach out to our partners, the more separate and independent we can be. Um, and so, so then, like I said, you know, she's uh, kind of applying John Bowlby, I guess, is the guy who originally developed the attachment theory. And she's applying that to adult relationships. Um, and she talks about, you know, like demanding withdrawal as vicious spirals of insecurity, 
Uh, she talks about how relationships fail not due to increasing conflict, as you might expect, but um, more due to decreasing affection or emotional responsiveness, which again uh, goes to John Gottman's research that actually it's you know the ratio of these positive to negative interactions that's really predictive of, of the long-term you know viability of a relationship. Uh, so she she has this framework that she developed about emotional responsiveness being you know accessibility um, plus responsiveness plus engagement, which I think kind of ties into some of these things that we've we've been talking about today. So. Yeah, again, I definitely think this is, is worth if you want to explore some of these issues further and, and kind of the, the psychological research on, on this kind of stuff. I think her book is a good place to start. So that's Hold Me Tight. And, and then she also talks in there about what she calls emotionally focused therapy that she's developed for um, helping couples who are struggling develop these attachment bonds. So if that's, you know, something that that, you know, if your relationship doesn't feel quite as like safe as you want it to, you know, like this is uh, probably the best place to 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 start to look into how to address those kinds of issues. Um, I love but, you that. Know, and it's also I, I, and I, you know, like a lot of the stuff we've talked about, you know, we've we've been sort of focused on, you know, like really close personal relationships with sort of like a primary romantic partnership is kind of the paradigmatic example of that. But I think a lot of these principles are applicable a lot more broadly, you know, in, in different ways to um to all of the relationships in your life, potentially. So, yeah. no, I think that's great. And it even sets us up for talking about what episode is coming up next, because our okay. next episode yeah. is the statesperson episode. And really what we're going to be looking at here is how relationships ought to be at a broader level. We're looking at society broadly. And there is this whole question of how you show up as both an individual in a wider social setting. So I think it already sets us up for what that exploration is going to be next week. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So uh, what's our weekly challenge for, for this episode for relationships? Right. So in this episode, we actually want you to get out there and start building a good new relationship. And so what we're going to do is start a thread in the Facebook group where you can sign up for an accountability partner. So find the thread. There'll be explanations, but it's going to be pretty straightforward. Just how it works is the first person to come on the thread who wants an accountability partner will put hashtag accountability one. If you're the next person, you'll pair up. So you'll also put hashtag accountability one. And then the person after that will see, oh, these people have paired and they'll do hashtag accountability two and then hashtag accountability two. And ideally we'll get it so that there are groups of two to three people formed and there will be a drawing again and we'll have a group of lucky winners this time because what will happen is that I will join one of the accountability pairings. And I think, Ash, you said you would join one of the accountability pairings as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, the, whole, the whole idea with the accountability pairing is that um, this is a person that you can meet and with either your partner or your, your group, you'll decide if you want to meet. We recommend either once a week or once every other week, perhaps once a month, but no longer than that. But it's just yeah. a person where you can start sharing your goals the things that you're working on that you want to get done within that week or two weeks or a month. And here's a person who can hold you accountable to your goals and then also give perspective on what it is that you're working on and what challenges may be coming up for you. 
Right. Yeah. And I think in that thread, too, you know, we can have some discussion around, um, you know, like you said, it doesn't even have to just be partners. We can have like small groups um, if there are people who want accountability for, you know, a specific type of project that they're working on potentially, mm -hmm. or or we can, you know, maybe discuss like different uh, tools or platforms that people can use um, to, to, to help them, uh, you know, maintain that <laughs> accountability with their, their yeah. partners. So, and if anybody out there has ideas, we will, we definitely yeah, want to hear your We definitely want to have a conversation about too. that and mm -hmm. uh, see if we can um, kind of set up something here that will be valuable to, you know, everybody listening, potentially anyone who's interested in, in uh, joining with this and, uh, you know, hopefully kind of start making this uh, more of a community around these ideas and, you know, hear what you guys are working on and, and all of us can start helping each other actually um, move towards those, those goals that, that, uh, that we're working on. So, yeah. Um, all right. So thank you everyone for joining us again. And uh, we will be back next week to talk about the role of the states person. And uh, we will see you all then. Thanks again. Thank you, Joya. Thank you. Bye everybody. See you soon. Right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Seeing Eye to Eye. You can find and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, or via RSS. If you found value in this show, we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes or tell a friend who might be interested. Don't forget, you can also join the Seeing Eye to Eye podcast Facebook group to participate in the weekly challenge, ask questions, and add to our growing conversation. See you next time!